0: The following message is from Kings Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website kings1066.org So good to be with you. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Kings. There's a couple of Pauls that are pastors here at Kings. And uh, it's my privilege. I'm going to be preaching to you this morning. My ambition is to lay a foundation. I feel that this is a foundation that I want to lay. That that for many of you, you know. And for many of you, you're going to be doing it. Or you're already doing it and maybe have done for a while. But, but it's good to remind you of things you know well Anyway. And, and, and as I prayed, my prayer would be is that you would have open, receptive hearts to see, are there areas in my life that I need to adjust? Are there things that I need to do differently to what I've done before? Maybe I've had the wrong priority in certain areas And I need to make adjustments either in my attitudes or my actions in order to better line up with what the Word of God says and to better line up with what the Holy Spirit is prompting within me um, at the moment. When I I went for it, because I practice preach, so if you're in my household, you know what I'm going to say long before I ever stand up and deliver it on a Sunday morning. And when I was doing that, truth be told, I was well over time. You know I mean, I, I was way over time, so I, I'm going to do the best I can just to communicate well. But I do feel there's a real burden here to, to speak into this stuff. It's on the end of the week of prayer where we have been praying into the whole cost of living crisis. And what I want to answer today is, how do we respond to the cost of living crisis? How do you as an individual, or I as an individual, respond to it, but also how do we as a community, as a church, what is our response to the cost of living crisis that we see all around us. And I'm going to do that by looking at six snapshots through the New Testament. Four in the book of Acts, one is in Galatians, one is in 1 Timothy, and we are going to fly through it, and then at the end, I'm going to draw all of the threads together and give us some very practical responses to it. So Natalie laid a brilliant foundation last week looking at Acts 2 and 4. I am going to look at them again because... I want to add my two worth in, and I feel there's some things that I feel is right to um, add in in that sense. Um, But I believe that as I do that, like I say, a bit of a foundation is going to be laid. So snapshot number one. This is following the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in Acts 2, 44 to 46. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This is the birth of the early church. This is what we look like at the very beginning. This, this, is, this is, in a sense, a blueprint. This is how God wants it to look like. Remember the question. How do we respond to the cost of living crisis? Well, what we see here is an overflowing, organic generosity bubbling up within the church. It just bubbles out of them. This is, would have been one-to-one. It would have been relationally based this wouldn't have just been sharing money, although that could have been the case. It's like you go to a connect group, a midweek group. There's someone in need who says, I have this need. And at the end of the meeting, you feel God prompts, you. You think, you know what? I can help with that. Um... I will transfer you some money over just to help you through this little problem that you've got at the moment. So relationally connected, organic, bubbling up, overflowing, generosity. It would have been wonderful to see. So it would have been money, but it it would have been hospitality. It would have been sharing food. It would have been sharing life. All of those things would have been how they met one another's needs. Sounds good, doesn't it? I don't know. It sounds exciting. It sounds a bit scary as well, if I'm honest, but it sounds really good. But just a fact, just a comment I want to make, or a question I want to answer. Why? Why on earth would people be so countercultural? Why would people be so liberal with their possessions? Well, I've, I've come up with three reasons. I'm sure there's more. The first is, and, and, and Paul uh, mentioned this earlier in the week of prayer, Paul mentioned in John 17, Jesus prayed that the church would be one, that, that we would be unified, that we would be together. What, what greater expression of unity is there than what we see up there described? In a sense, Acts 2, Acts 4 that we're going to read later is an, is an overflow, It's an answer to Jesus' very prayer for the church that we would be one together sharing possessions, helping each other in need. It is an overflow from that. Secondly, that early church were aware, as we are aware, how generous God has been to us. All of my sins has gone. He's lavished all of his grace upon me. He hasn't withheld one spiritual blessing from me or from you. Well, what response can I have but to overflow in similar generosity. Jesus has been so good to me. I've I've got to respond in like kind. And sometimes it, it won't just be spiritual things. It will be material provision for others as well. I'm sure you know it. Jesus says that we are to forgive one another. Why? Because we have been forgiven so much. We're to be generous. Why? Because Jesus has been so generous with us, what other response can I have? It's, it's, it's not because I've got to, although at times the Holy Spirit may prompt me to do things that are costly. I, I want to do it because I see Jesus and go, wow. And then, thirdly, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit powerfully came on the church and he empowered them to live in a countercultural different way the same holy spirit that has been at work among us this morning was at work there and that affected not just their worship when they gathered but their life when they were dispersed and it overflowed in generosity all those things are true today jesus in john 17 prayed that we would be one what's the outworking of that if it isn't being generous with one another we're recipients of God's grace. We have enjoyed the overflow of the Holy Spirit. Snapshot number two, I mustn't get carried away, but I will. So a little bit later on, this might have been a few weeks later, and we're not quite certain the Bible doesn't say. Is it quite warm in here? Is it just me getting excited? It is getting warm. Can we pop the heating down, please, wherever meeting managers are residing at this point in time? Because I wouldn't want you to go to sleep. That would be most unfortunate, okay? All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them. There was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land, houses, sold them, brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now this is very much like snapshot one, isn't it? There's a lot of similarities in there, but one of the things that you'll notice that is slightly different is that when property and land was sold, it was placed at the apostles' feet so that it could be effectively distributed to those in need. So in Acts 2, we see something that is organic and overflowing, and in Acts 4, we see something that is organic and overflowing but it's also organised. The church, in a sense, has taken some responsibility for distributing needs to those who are in the deepest needs. Now, just another comment I want to make, I've got a number of these asides, but I think this is part of laying the foundation. The basis of this generosity is, is worked out of what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. We're not going to look at it um, now. But basically in Ephesians 4, verse 28, it's telling people within the church at Ephesus, you're to no longer steal. I mean, that's a bit mad, isn't it? Can you imagine? You know, a church where there's a whole load of people in there that nick stuff off each other. They don't sound very good people, do they? But, but church is, is full of all sorts of different people until the grace of God works in, they're to no longer steal, but they're to do honest work with their own hands so that you will have something to share with those in need. The normal biblical expectation is that you will get a job, that you will work hard, that you will be honest, that you'll be a good employee so that you can provide for yourself. And then what does it say? That you'll be able to share with other people. Now that is completely countercultural at one level to, to that last bit to what we do in our society, isn't it? Because in our society, we're told to work hard, that's good. But we're told to work hard so I can get more stuff. I can go on a nicer holiday, I can buy a new car, I can get the latest iPhone. That that isn't wrong in itself. Please hear me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get that stuff. But the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus says. The reason we work is, yes, so we can provide for ourselves, but so we can share with those in need. That, now, that, that challenges me. That provokes me, because I, I think towards the end of the month, have we got anything left? What have we got left? Does that enable us to save towards a holiday? Or can we do this? Or can we do that? And, and, and they're not bad things. But but how high up in my agenda does sharing my possessions with others come? Or is it right down near the bottom of the list? It's, it's interesting. That's what it says in Ephesians 4.28. On to snapshot number three. Moving forward as quickly as I can. Now this is an example of what we've just read in Ephesians 4. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. This is just an example of what we've read. Now, if you know your Bibles, you know it does not go well for them because they lied to, lie to the Holy Spirit and Satan has filled their hearts. We won't get caught up on that because I haven't got time to get into that detail. But what I want to show is this is just an example. This is what people were doing. I mean, think about it for a moment. People were selling property and land, and they were giving the money to support others within the community that didn't have enough. That, that's radical generosity, isn't it? I mean, we're not talking a 20 quid in the offering bucket here. We're talking at least tens of thousands of pounds, but probably if you think of it in today's money, this is hundreds of thousands of pounds individuals were giving away in order to make sure there was no needy person among them. This is why it stood out to the community. There was something different. This this has got to be Holy Spirit empowered because truth is none of us want to do it naturally, do we? It's not a natural response. It's it's in response to the generosity of God. And it's interesting to note, because if you know the story, Ananas and Sapphira end up dead. I mean, it really doesn't go well for them. It's the judgment of God... It's interesting that among the severest judgments in the New Testament are in connection when it comes to feeding the poor and providing for them. It's, it's interesting, the link together. God takes it really seriously. I think something else I just want to add in here, because I think sometimes we can miss these things. You'll notice from these first three accounts that I've shared that the church in Acts did not insist on absolute economic equity. It wasn't that, that, that it was some sort of communist state where, where everyone had the same amount of money. That's not what they taught. That's not what they expected. Nor did they abolish private property. People didn't donate all of their personal possessions, but they were countercultural in how they used them. And I think it's important. It's important to communicate that snapshot. I don't even can't say the words now. Snapshot number four, problems in the early church. In those days, the number of disciples, this is probably about 18 months after the passages we've just been reading. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing and the Greek Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 apostles they gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. By this time about 18 months later you're going to notice it's worth noticing three things. The first thing is church had taken responsibility to feed widows in need. This was an organised, structured thing. Secondly, it didn't happen, or in the end it didn't happen through the elders or the apostles. It happened through recognised, anointed, wise deacons. People that were set aside to do it. And thirdly, I'm pretty certain the organic was still happening side by side. So what we find here is organic generosity just helping those you come across, but also an organised generosity where the church has taken responsibility to make sure those most in need are cared for. And I want to say this because I think this is important to say. Because it was organised, it doesn't make it less spirit-led, and it doesn't make it less good. That there can be a sense within our culture, church culture these days, that spontaneous is wonderful and spirit led, and the organized is, well, second best because we haven't got faith for the spontaneous. That's not true. We see in the early church both the organic, the spontaneous, and we see the organized taking place hand in hand, and it's important that they both happen. You don't want to organize out the spontaneous. But if you only do the spontaneous, people get left out. Because the truth is, if you are outward going, you are full of energy, you are confident, you're probably gonna be well connected, you'll be right in there, and you'll think, we don't don't need the organised. But actually, if you're a little shyer, a little bit more timid, maybe a little bit newer in, the organised really helps you make connections. It really helps you to feel apart. It helps friendships to be built. The early church had both the organized and the spontaneous. We we desire to have both in the appropriate place. Snapshot number five. We'll fly through this one very quickly and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll see where we're up to. So this is in Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. So James... Peter and John, those esteemed pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, that's to the non-Jews, and they should go to the circumcised, that was the Jewish church. All they asked was that that, that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along, Here, the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of churches in Turkey and he's describing something of his personal journey. Paul and Barnabas have had their first missionary journey. They've seen great success. They go to Jerusalem to check that what they're preaching, the gospel, is right, that they've got it right. The apostles in Jerusalem say, thumbs up, all good, you're preaching the right stuff, we're really pleased with what's going on. They said, but, but there is just one thing we want to make sure is happening, and that is that you remember the poor, that you take care of the poor within the community. Care for those in need was not just something for the church in Jerusalem, it was to be the hallmark of all churches from then on. This this is part of what we look like as church. We worship Jesus by raising our hands and singing out our best songs in faith to him. We worship Jesus as we care for one another. As we care for one another. And care for the poor was a, a foundation of apostolic mission as well. Churches shouldn't be planted that don't care for the needy amongst them. They shouldn't. That's part of what we should be doing. And then snapshot number six. We're jumping right into 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is about 30 years after Acts chapter 2 where we first started. So there's a, there's a spread of time here. This is what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy who's leading the church at Ephesus. Give, just, just look carefully at what's being said here. There's some interesting stuff there give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts a hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she is alive, while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's strong, isn't it? That's strong stuff. Now a widow may be put on the list of widow oh, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 years of age has been faithful to her husband is well known for her good deeds such as bringing up children showing hospitality washing the feet of the lord's people helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds then we jump down to verse 16 If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. There's some quite provoking stuff in there, isn't there? I don't know, I I thought it's provoking when you read it. I mean, why on earth are only widows mentioned? Now, I I think widows are only mentioned here because they really can't provide for themselves. So this is, this is a list that the church has to provide ongoing support, maybe even permanent support, for those that could provide support, find support nowhere else. I think in other situations the church will help, but it will be temporary because the expectation is that at some point you'll be able to get back on your feet and as I said earlier from Ephesians chapter 4, you'll be able to earn some money, provide for yourself, and and maybe be able to be generous to other people. But this group of widows, over 60, were the only ones who could appear on this list, but then get ongoing support from the church at Ephesus. It's interesting to note as well with these widows, I don't know if you know this, these widows were still productive. They weren't lazy... Did you see the list of things that Paul said? You know, he said, you know, that they should have a reputation for good works, that they, they, they should wash the disciples' feet. There was a whole load of things that, that, although they may not be able to provide financially for themselves, the way they served within the local church would be exemplary. Real heart of service in there. The other thing as well is it's interesting that these widows weren't actually to look to the church for provision. It says they were to look to God. says that, what does it say? It says, if you go back one, please, Alan, that'd be great. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. It's interesting just where where her focus, where where is our focus when we are in trouble? Are we coming back to God again? Our strong foundation, our certain hope. Now the church did provide. And it it was right that they did. It was a privilege for them to do so. But it was interesting some of these things that Paul very practically lists out here. It's also interesting, I don't know if you noticed it, the role of family in this. Did you see that? Three or four times, Paul is quite emphatic that that, that children and grandchildren should take a leading role in caring for the elderly within their family unit. Now, again, that causes challenges within our society. We don't do it that way, but if I'm honest, I'm not certain we've got it quite right. I don't know if we've quite got it right in how we do things at the moment. And it says there, doesn't it, that as we care for the elderly within our family units, we're sort of repaying them. Did you see that too? That was interesting. You're you're honouring them, you're repaying them in that, and this is pleasing to God. This is our Christianity being worked out on the ground. I leave you to ponder some of these things. What does it look like for you to work this out in your family unit? And and, and I think there will be different reflections of it. But I think other societies who, 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 who have a stronger, broader family network, I think there's some real strength in that, even if there are some challenges within it as well. So as I finish, and I'll just take a couple of minutes to finish, how do we respond to the cost of living crisis? I've sort of done six snapshots on the way through. Firstly, first, our first response should be this. If possible, God calls us to earn enough money to support ourselves and be generous with others. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's, that's God's heart in it. Now, whether that is organic, overflowing generosity to those you come in contact with, or whether it's giving it to the church so the church can give it away, both are in the New Testament. Secondly, are there family members who you should be caring for or supporting in a different way to the way you are at the moment? Are there principles within what we've read and you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I've quite got it right? Um, please hear me, please do not ring them up this afternoon and invite them to come and live in your smallest bedroom. I'm not, I'm not saying that necessarily, but I, I don't know, I don't know if we've got it right. Well, in a sense, we outsource care for the elderly. That is, I, don't, I don't think that reflects all the time the right way to do it. And I, I think there's room for the Holy Spirit to speak to us on that. Maybe even in reflection to that, there will be many here who don't have family members who, who, who can extend that welcome. And that's an opportunity for us as a church to extend a welcome to those who might not be part of our biological family, but are part of our church family. And maybe, maybe there's someone who's maybe a little bit older than you that you can adopt into your family and bring around the meal table and have involved in your family life at different times. I think that is pleasing to God. Number three, it's clear from the Bible that there are times when we cannot support ourselves. We can't. We're just in a situation where we can't, and in those situations, it is the church's responsibility to help the local church. So it is our responsibility. Please try not to think of it as organisation, us as a family to help. I think with that in mind, as an eldership team, we've been praying, we've been thinking about it over the last few weeks. We're not quite certain of the practical outworkings, but we do feel we should be more active as a church. We should make clearer pathways so that when any of us can be in this situation, fall into difficulty or we need more help, we can ask help without shame or without feeling bad or without feeling that in some way you've done something wrong. Sometimes we just need help. And I want to invite you to come and ask for it. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to work out exactly what does that look like? How can we help? Both when your cooker goes kaput and you are pretty much just living week by week, we want to be able to help in those instances, but we might even find with a cost-of-living crisis where bills have gone up actually just on a monthly basis, you, you you can't make it work. In those situations, we don't quite know the answer, but we would want you to come and talk to us about it because we, we believe that there is a responsibility we have not to meet every need you've got, but to be family and ex- express something of that generosity together. And lastly, how do we respond to the cost of living crisis? We remember the faithfulness of God. We remember his incredible generosity. We remember how he promises he will never leave us or forsake us. Remember that he is the solid rock that we stand upon. Could I just invite the band back up, please? That'd be great. It says this in Psalm 46, verse 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our refuge and strength. He is the one we set our hope on. We follow the example of those widows and we come to God again and we reach out in trust to him. Why don't we stand? In a few moments, the band are going to lead us in a song where we're going to get to express the faithfulness of God, his unchangeable nature, the rock on which we stand. But then we're going to break bread, and Paul and Roz are going to lead us in that. We're going to break bread together, and we're going to have the opportunity to express family. So I would, I would encourage you to mingle, to not just stay within your robes, but to have a very active moving around expressing care, love, pray for one another, some of that stuff overflowing as an expression. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been so incredibly generous to us. We see it at the cross, we see it in the resurrection, we see it in our unity with you, we see it in every spiritual blessing that you've given to us. We thank you for your word that is helpful to make us wise, to understand what is right and good. I pray, Holy Spirit, even now, would you lovingly but clearly come and speak to us. Lord, where we need to adjust, and I'm pretty certain, I've certainly I know I do, we as a household do. I'm sure probably we all do to some extent. Lord, we do not want to be hearers of the word, that forget what is said as we walk out of the building. But we want to be those that hear your word, take it seriously, go after you and apply it into our lives, that our attitudes and our actions might be worshipful to you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. You are a faithful God. And Lord, we express that together right now.